and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott, and I'm here to bring you a very special episode based on the short story by the master of horror, Stephen King, and coming soon from 20th Century Studios, starring Sophie Thatcher, Vivian Lyra Blair, Chris Messina, and David Desmalchian. I highly recommend you go see The Boogeyman in theaters June 2nd, with tickets already on sale now. A beautifully frightening thing about us as humans is that every culture seems to have their own version of the boogeyman, and I am no exception. I, along with a few of my fellow Bloody FM podcasters, were very fortunate to have the opportunity to take Stephen King's classic and adapt it into our tales of the boogeyman, and after you've heard them all, you'll never sleep with your closet open again. Are you ready? Here we go. Los Angeles, 1933. Madge Howard hurried quickly from the bus stop, her three-year-old in tow, both holding down their hats against the warm Santa Ana winds that swept down the quiet city streets. Even though it was past 8 p.m., she figured there would be some hustle and bustle to keep them company on their walk, but there wasn't a soul around, save for her and her daughter. Every city light on this street was out. The businesses and apartment buildings were dark as well, with a few candles scattered among various windowsills. Some sort of outage, she supposed. Just a coincidence. Whether or not she believed her attempt at self-soothing was answered by the chill that crept down Madge's back despite the unusually tepid October evening Dorothy Ann, let Mama carry you, she said as she bent down to scoop up the toddler. Anxiety coursed through her veins, and she just couldn't stand going down this dark and empty street at a toddler's pace. When the little one was secured on her hip, they set off at almost a run towards the one building on the street full of light, the Catholic Church. It seemed that this end of the street was less concerned about the dark, and there were no more candles in the windows to provide a small bit of comfort. This was her last chance. She had exhausted every other option she could think of, and the church had to help. She had been told her whole life the stories of good versus evil that were printed on the thin pages of the family Bible, told in the evenings by her father, on their old homestead. They had been screamed at her by the traveling preachers at the revivals her grandparents made her attend after a fever took both her parents. They had then been retaught to her when she converted for her husband Patrick before marriage. The church, the Lord, they were who she should have turned to this whole time. Who else would you want by your side when you were fighting a demon? Leaves and small bits of trash blew around her in gusts. Dust devils is what they used to call them when she was a kid. She was starting to become winded as she neared the building, 
but she couldn't slow down. She couldn't let them stay in the dark for too long. She could now see the glow of candlelight from the church, like a shining beacon of hope at the end of a tunnel of darkness. There was just enough moonlight to cast sinister-looking shadows every few feet. Every single one looked like him, like the... Well, she couldn't even think it. She wouldn't give it the decency of even saying its name in the quiet of her own mind. It may have just been superstition, but it felt like it gave him, it, more power. By the time they arrived at the heavy oak doors, Madge was covered in sweat. Her silk stockings clung uncomfortably to her legs. Her brassiere felt too tight, and her hat was hanging off her head by the end of a hat pin. She pulled open one door, set down Dorothy Ann, and ushered her inside. Having also suffered from the power outage, the cavernous interior of the church was lit only by candles. For a brief moment, Madge imagined this is what church looked like for most of time, especially these grand Catholic ones, like the big cathedrals she had seen pictures of in Europe. No electricity, just the soft glow of hundreds of candles and the sweet, lingering smell of incense. Mama, I'm tired. These were the first words Dorothy Ann had spoken since Madge had whisked her out of bed and out of the house to the bus stop. She was a sensitive child and always seemed to go inward when she felt upset or uncomfortable. It was a blessing in times like these when Madge needed full cooperation in order to keep them safe, but it was something that she had made many mental notes of. She didn't want Dorothy Ann to grow up strange or unsociable. Many mothers would probably give their left toes for a quiet and well-mannered child like Dorothy Ann. But Madge had really made an effort to make the girl less standoffish and meek. Sometimes her shyness was even perceived as disrespectful. Madge was painfully embarrassed last Sunday morning when the old ladies of the church cooed over Dorothy Ann's new yellow dress and asked her questions about her age and her name. Dorothy Ann just stared at them, then dashed behind her mother, clutching her skirt. The old women looked disdainfully at Madge. They walked off whispering things like, Well, that was downright rude, and what an odd child. You mustn't ignore your elders. If an older person addresses you, you must obey and speak directly and clearly to them. You can't just hide behind my knees forever. Madge had lectured on their bus ride home. It wasn't just Madge's own embarrassment, but she also didn't want her daughter to end up a mark for the corruption of these times they were living in, especially with what Madge now knew of the evil the world truly beheld. Why don't you go lay down on a pew, my love? I'm going to light some candles and we're just going to stay here tonight. I have to be here bright and early to ask the priest some questions. Here, take my handbag to use as a pillow. Don't dig through there for sweets, though. It's too late for that. Dorothy Ann took her mother's purse and wandered from pew to pew until she found one that was just right. Madge watched her little head disappear 
as she laid down. As she walked past the confessional, she heard a familiar raspy cough and paused. Father Cunningham? She asked cautiously, her nerves frayed. Is that Mrs. Margaret Howard I hear? He called from behind the closed door. She expected to see the amber glass lit by candlelight, but it seemed the priest was sitting in the dark. Yes, uh, what are you doing in confession so late, father? She nervously patted at her disheveled hair and repinned her hat into place. Oh, I had a young man drop by earlier who was in a bit of a crisis. He felt more comfortable speaking to me from behind the screen. When he left, I took some time to myself to pray and, well, I'm embarrassed to say, but I fell asleep. These surprise slumbers have started becoming more frequent as I age. My candle must have burned out while I slept, he explained. Oh, that makes sense. Age comes for us all, I suppose said Madge. Now, Mrs. Howard, I could ask you a similar question. What brings you here so late in the evening? Oh, Father, I actually came to seek your guidance. You see, I believe, well, this may sound silly, but I believe the devil is after my family, Father. I was going to wait throughout the night to speak to you in the morning, but since you're here and this is an emergency of faith... An emergency of faith? The devil, you say? Why don't you join me in here, Mrs. Howard? I did hear you speaking to your little one, did I not? Madge wondered why he hadn't stepped out to greet her, but she glanced up at the giant crucifix at the altar of the church. This was a holy place. There was no way it could have followed her here. She had to have faith. That's why she was here, right? Otherwise, she and her family would never be safe. Yes, Father. I brought Dorothy Ann with me. She's sleeping on a pew. I'd actually rather speak out here. She eyed the dark interior of the parishioner's side of the confessional holy place or not, sitting willingly in a dark space was not something she'd like to do. Oh, Mrs. Howard, please. You see, my knees just aren't what they used to be, and they're rather swollen today. Can you appease an old man of the cloth just this once? He pleaded lightheartedly. I'd Rather not. The darkness seemed to spill out from the booth, as if it was growing. It's not real. It's not real. It's not real. Madge chanted in her head. Well, in that case, our chat will probably have to wait until morning. If I get up now, I'll have to take my medication, and that makes me very sleepy. I'd have to go to bed at once. Plus, we wouldn't want to wake and worry your daughter with adult matters, would we? 
Madge glanced over to the pew she knew Dorothy Ann was sleeping in. Father Cunningham was right. She didn't want to add anything to the list of things that made her so... sensitive. Okay, would you like me to fetch you a fresh candle, Father? I was going to get one for myself. No need, Mrs. Howard. I'm quite comfortable in my faith. I know there won't be any boogeymen to get me when I'm linked arm in arm with Jesus Christ in my walk with God. That name. He said it, and it sent an electric shock across Madge's skin. However, that little joke made her feel much more at ease. Clearly, it couldn't be here. The old priest was right. She had to have more faith. She took a deep breath, approached the confessional, and opened the door. The room, of course, was small and cramped. In her nervousness and decision-making, she had forgotten to grab a candle. As the door closed, the amber glass in front of her glowed softly, but not nearly as brightly as she had hoped with the exterior candlelight. The room felt hot. Beads of sweat formed on her brow and the smell of old wood and years of various perfumes and odors from guilt-ridden congregants permeated the stagnant air. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned, she began. Oh, there's no need for that, Mrs. Howard. Why don't you just get on with this devil? I may be a holy man, but I am but a man, and my curiosity is piqued. Usually when my parishioners come to me with talk of the devil, it's more of a theatrical descriptor for alcohol or gambling. Something tells me that this isn't the case with you and your family. No, Father. No vices such as that. I'm here because... Madge took a sharp breath in before she continued. I'm here because a demon has been murdering my children. She was met with silence from the other side of the dark screen. She could barely make out the silhouette of the priest. She tried to read what little body language she could see. Finally, he spoke. Please, go on is all he said. You see, Father, Dorothy Ann isn't my only child, wasn't my only child. I had seven children before her. Seven? You are a good Catholic. <laughs> he chuckled. She thought it odd of him to make a joke while she was speaking of the death of her children. Maybe he had already decided she was crazy. Uh, yes, well, you see, Pat, m my husband Patrick and I are actually from Oregon. Corvallis, Oregon, abouts. He ran his family's general store. I originally came from farm stock. We were just good people, Father. Just good, honest people, wanting to make a good and honest living, raising good and honest children. We had our first child right away. 
almost nine months to the day of our wedding. Her name was Sarah Beth. She was beautiful. We had her brother Tommy a year after that, and, well, the year after that, we had twins. Two boys we named Eugene and Harold. It was a full house, and it was hard to keep up with so many children. I didn't have anyone to help me, you see. My parents were long gone, and my grandmother was senile, and Pat's mother passed right after Tommy was born. Pat was busy working long days at the store. So, well, I believe I, I may have neglected Sarah Beth quite a bit. At night, Sarah Beth started waking Pat and I to tell us there was something in the room she shared with her brother Tommy. Something in the closet. She would... She would scream and yell and make us come look, but we never found anything. But a moth problem. She couldn't talk very good, and... But she kept trying to say something. Like, Gigi Nin. Over and over until we finally just let her sleep in a pallet on our floor. Gigi Nin? That sounds like something a child would call a grandmother. Maybe she was distressed after the death of Pat's mother and was calling out for her, the priest suggested. No, father, let me just continue. It's so hard to explain already without staying in order. Tears were beginning to catch in her throat. The room was so hot. Why couldn't Father Cunningham have just spoken to her out in the open? My apologies, Miss Howard. Please, continue. Well, Sarah Beth, she started to be afraid of our room as well. So she started sleeping in the parlor, on the sofa. She tried to get us to sleep in there too, pointing at her closet, so frustrated, just yelling, Gigi Nin, Gigi Nin, and stomping her little feet. At the time, we actually laughed. We laughed at our frightened daughter. It was sort of cute, the way she was so frustrated, like an adult almost. Oh, how awful, how awful we were. Madge quietly sobbed for a moment, uninterrupted by Father Cunningham. She began again after wiping out her tears with a handkerchief. That night, she got really upset. We just plumb locked her out of the bedroom. Pat had to be up early. I was exhausted with newborn twins and two toddlers. We were at her wit's end. We knew there was nothing she could get into, and she would eventually just cry herself to sleep. When we woke in the morning, we found her, curled up outside our door. Her little fists red and sore from banging on the floor trying to get us to open up. Pat laid her in our bed to sleep in late. I started breakfast, fed the twins, and saw Pat off to work. I didn't realize until later in the morning that neither Sarah Beth or Tommy had woken yet. So I went to Tommy's room first. <laughs> That's where I found them. 
Sarah Beth was... Sarah Beth was standing there like a statue, staring at Tommy's bed. She was now choking the story out between sobs. Tommy... Tommy was in the bed. And was... Oh, I can't even describe it, Father. He looked as if he had choked. His face was discolored a deep purple. And his tongue... His tongue was swollen and hanging out of his mouth. He was dead. He had been dead for hours. She cried into her handkerchief. Mrs. Howard, young children are very vulnerable to sudden death like that. I myself lost a sister that way, offered the priest. Father, I'm not done. Only a month after that, we lost Sarah Beth. She tried to warn us every night. Pat thought it wasn't decent that she slept in the parlor when we had a whole bedroom she could have for herself. So, he started locking her in at night. I thought it was rough of him, but who was I to go against the word of my husband? And so, like I said, a month later, we found Sarah Beth in the same way. The same swollen tongue. The same purple face. Pat thought it must be something in the walls, some kind of mold, or maybe the glue for the wallpaper was poisonous. He had heard about stuff like that happening in the paper. He and a few of his handyman buddies he knew from the general store came that very weekend and tore the room down. Just tore it off the house like you'd tear a page out of a book. He didn't even go to Sarah Beth's funeral. He just worked day and night until it looked like no room had ever existed there. We had a formal living room we never used, and we never really had company over. And he turned that into the bedroom for the twins. He even installed a cedar closet, so we wouldn't have the same moth problem. It seemed like we had found the problem and solved it. I mourned my children, but understood that the Lord only calls you home when it's your time, and I just got lost in being the best mother to Harold and Eugene. Not long after, I was with child again, and it was no longer a time for mourning, but a time for happiness. I had Martha, and it was a happy day. The twins were so good about sleeping in their room, and having only one newborn instead of two was a blessing. Life felt easier again. It felt lighter. Business at the store was booming. We had three happy children. I remember that time as the brightest in my life. I hold on to those memories like my life depends on it. I think my life does depend on it in some way. She trailed off and stared ahead at the glowing amber glass 
her mind wandering to a different time. Mrs. Howard, are you all right? The sound of Father Cunningham's voice shook her from the spell. Yes, I, I, I apologize. Sometimes I just lose myself. It's happening more and more these days. Where was I? You had just had your daughter, Martha. Oh, yes, Martha. Yes, Martha was a dream of a baby. Didn't cry much, slept through the night, just a joy. Time went on without any more incidents. Until the twins turned four. Pat was now installing a new bedroom onto the house for Martha. Was it in place of the one your other children had passed in? Inquired the priest. Oh, heavens no. It was on the other side of our room. I admit it sort of stuck out like a sore thumb. In fact, if you could see our house from the sky, it was probably starting to look like a piece from a jigsaw puzzle. I had actually had Pat hire some men to remove the foundation from the bad part of the house. And I had started a little garden there. I thought it would be nice to grow life where so much death had happened. But that didn't work out. Why didn't it work out? Actually, it was around the same time as the twins turned four that I could have started harvesting a lot of my vegetables. But they all got infected with some sort of ick and just rotted. Ick? Asked Father Cunningham. Yes, this black vine-like substance. It just choked all the vegetables. You know, I had almost forgotten about that until now. It's so strange to remember things you forgot. She started to dissociate again, but pulled herself back. Anyway, the twins had started complaining about a monster in their closet. They called it... The Boogeyman. Despite the heat in the room, another chill raced through Madge's body. The hairs on her arms, standing on end. Of course, I began to worry. But Pat assured me that the last time was just a coincidence. I asked him how they could have possibly heard that name, and he insisted it must have been from the other kids at church just trying to scare them. All children were afraid of the dark, and there was no way any of that could happen again. He had made sure there was nothing but the best of paint and plaster in that room. But he was wrong. He was so... awfully wrong. Her lip began to quiver again. What happened to Eugene and Harold, Mrs. Howard? It was much faster than with Tommy and Sarah Beth. Only days after they mentioned that a monster was in their closet, we found them one morning on the floor of their room. They were holding hands. 
and looked so beautiful. Too beautiful to be dead. They looked like sleeping angels. They were ice cold. The doctor said they must have been eaten up by some 24-hour fever we hadn't caught, but even he didn't seem very convinced. I lost it, Father. I screamed and tore at my hair. I even hit my husband. You've never seen such a sight outside of a sanitarium. Which is where I had to go for a little while. Mr. Howard had you institutionalized. The priest sounded surprised. Madge felt a ping of satisfaction that something had finally rattled him. Up till then, he had almost seemed amused and flippant. I think he was afraid. Afraid of my grief. Afraid that maybe it was me. I was the one home alone with the children all the time. I think he thought maybe I had neglected them. All of them. After all, what decent mother could miss that two of her children were suffering from a deadly fever? I was gone for two months of electroshock and cold water therapy. When I got home, I had a quieter mind. I was a more obedient wife. I was a more attentive mother. Pat just did what he thought was best for us. She didn't know who she was trying to convince with that last sentence. The priest. Or herself. I fell pregnant again soon after. Performing my wifely duties couldn't stop just because I had a little time away. Seven months later, I gave birth in our bathtub to a boy who died only minutes after he met this world. We named him Norman. Pat went to call for a doctor because my bleeding wasn't stopping. I laid there in that tub, in my own blood and grief, and you know what, Father? What, Mrs. Howard? I smiled. And I thanked the good Lord that this one couldn't be taken away by that monster. This one was mine, and he had lived and died in my arms and never had to know the fear and pain my other children had faced. When Pat and the doctor showed up in the doorway to see me smiling down at the little dead thing in my arms... I thought they'd sent me away again. I think the only reason they didn't is because it was so hard the first time for Pat to try to find someone to mind Martha while I was away. And there was no one there to darn his socks, or cook him pork roasts, or to help him keep the figure straight for the store's ledgers. Madge swallowed and sat pensively 
for a moment. Martha went soon after. She had been begging and pleading about the monster, just like her siblings, and so much like Sarah Beth had. I wasn't focusing very well then. Pat stayed away at the store, sometimes even sleeping there. I'd like to say we tried. That we finally listened and tried to save her. But the truth is, we just pretended it wasn't happening. The doctor said she broke her neck, falling out of bed. I think we only had Lucy because neither of us could stand. How quiet the house had gotten. We tried to repair our relationship. We weren't honoring the sanctity of marriage by ignoring each other. I can't even remember how long after Martha was gone that we had Lucy. A year? A year and a half. That was when we finally saw it. Madge sounded colder now. No more tears. Only bitterness. You you saw what, Mrs. Howard? The demon? Are you saying you have witnessed one of Satan's fellow fallen angels? Once again, the priest sounded titillated, as if he was hearing a meaty morsel of gossip, and not a mother describing the horrific deaths of her children. I had started hearing things in the house, from the dark corners, from the closets. I heard scratching, and I swore I heard whispering. Sometimes, the whispering sounded like the voices of my dead children, like they were beckoning me to open the door and come inside, usually from our bedroom closet. I didn't want to go away again, so I didn't tell Pat. We had set up Lucy in the twins' room, instead of in the room with us. I don't know why. I guess we were trying to do something, anything different than what we had always done. Hoping something would change. One night, I heard her crying. So I got up while Pat snored away. By the time I got across the house to her room... She was screaming bloody murder, like she was in pain. I rushed in and I saw it. Mommy's here. This thing slithering back into the closet. I can't even describe it to you. It was horrendous, just awful, and I swear I heard it speak. What did it say, Mrs. Howard? The priest actually sounded concerned. It... It said... Bookie Man. At that point, I almost wanted to turn myself back into the sanitarium. It was too horrible and too strange to be real. Madge fumbled with her handkerchief. What did you do? Did you tell your husband? Asked Father Cunningham. No. 
I'm... I'm ashamed to say... I didn't. Was that the last time you saw the creature? This... Boogeyman? Probed the priest. It was then... Madge... Began to laugh. She laughed hysterically for an uncomfortable amount of time before finally saying, No! <laughs> oh, oh, father! No! She continued. Seven days later, Lucy cried again. This time, when I went to check on her, it was there in its full, hideous form, leaning over her crib. I must have screamed. I don't remember screaming, but I must have because Pat came running. We both watched as this demon used its claws to snuff out the life from our baby. move. But Pat grabbed me and dragged me out of the house. We got into the car and drove to a motel. We just left Lucy there. We just, we just left her there. Pat went back the next morning and said the doctor said something about crib death. I never stepped foot in our home again. I slept at the store until Pat found a job here, in Los Angeles, on a work crew for the city. He had a cousin here who got it for him. We sold the store for a fraction of what it was worth. We abandoned our home. And we came here. To start over. To escape it. We had Dorothy Ann almost four years ago. And we've lived much simpler. I've actually adjusted to city living quite nicely. We were fine. Until two weeks ago. What happened two weeks ago? Madge could hear the creak of wood, and she presumed Father Cunningham was leaning forward to listen more closely. We started hearing things again, but we wrote it off as just apartment living, thin walls and nosy neighbors, old pipes, the building settling, anything to soothe ourselves. But we knew... Then, Dorothy Ann started complaining about a monster in her closet. She came to us one night. We were still sitting up in the living room. Pat was tinkering with an old radio, and I was reading a book. She looked at us and said, Mommy, Daddy, please don't let the boogeyman take me. Pat put down his radio and got up. I thought he was walking over to comfort her. 
but instead he, he grabbed his hat and his coat and his wallet and walked out the door and we haven't seen or heard from him since. Madge's voice was shaking now. This is very serious, my dear. We have many options for abandoned wives here at the church. I will help you. Please don't worry. We will fight this evil together. I'll find you a good job with the church, and I will send some of the volunteer ladies over to help you get resettled in our women's home. You're going to be okay. The home is on church grounds, and you won't need to worry. So, you believe me? And, and you're going to help me? Help us? Of course I am. I am a man of God and of my word. Now, why don't you go say a prayer for your poor little ones who have passed? I would also like to say some words of comfort to little Dorothy Ann. Could you send her in here? My knees are so stiff from all this sitting, and I'd like to pray over her for added protection. Yes! Yes, Father, of course. Thank you, thank you. I can never thank you enough or repay you for your kindness. Go, my child. Go and thank the Lord for answering your prayers. Madge left the confessional with wings on her heels. She hurried over to Dorothy Ann to wake her. Honey, honey, I know it's late and you're so tired, but you need to go speak to Father Cunningham in the confessional. He's going to say a prayer with you, and he's going to keep us safe from the monster. You mean the boogeyman, Mama? Madge winced. Let's not say his name ever again. He's no longer in our lives. We're starting a new, better life. So please, go thank Father Cunningham and receive his prayers. Dorothy Ann yawned and nodded. She walked down the aisle to the confessional. Madge smiled at her shrinking back, a tear falling down her face. They were finally going to be okay. She turned and went to do just as Father Cunningham had instructed, to light some candles for her children who have passed, and to give thanks for the one she had left. She lovingly tapped her candle taper from wick to wick when Mrs. Howard what are you doing here so late her blood ran cold and she stiffly turned to see Father Cunningham standing behind her she couldn't find the words to speak I was checking to see if the power was back on and heard voices coming from in here are you alright is Patrick with you Without hesitation, Madge bolted down the aisle. She could see that the darkness had indeed spread from the confessional. But it wasn't just darkness. It was the same black rot that had choked and snuffed the life from her garden all those years ago. Its tendrils creeping under both doors of the holy structure. 
filled with secrets and lies and sins. Madge demanded her body go faster. But before she could reach the confessional, the cavernous interior of the church was filled with the tormenting echoes of Dorothy Ann's screams. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can get your tickets now for 20th Century Studios, The Boogeyman, in theaters June 2nd. And to keep that boogeyman lurking in your shadows, be sure to check out the other versions of The Boogeyman. Just keep your eye on Bloody FM social media for announcements from my friends and colleagues at The Creepy Podcast, The Mayfair Watchers Society, and The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. Sweet dreams. <laughs>